This episode of the Make Life Work podcast is supported by our friends at Archive. Do you have stacks of your kids' artwork piling up around your home like I do? Archive offers an easy and seamless solution for preserving and celebrating their creations. Just log on to archivebox.com and order your box, fill it with the artwork you'd like to save, and their talented team of professional photographers and designers will turn it into a stunning keepsake book or mosaic. Listeners of the Make Life Work podcast will receive $20 off their first order. Visit archivebox.com and use promo code MAKELIFEWORK at checkout. Hello and welcome to the Make Life Work podcast. I'm your host, Melanie Marconi, serial entrepreneur, single mom, and current founder and CEO of Vita, a co-working community in Portland, Oregon, designed to support modern life. For almost everyone I know, life is full. And for those of us who want to do it all, have a big career, raise a family, and achieve our most ambitious personal goals, oftentimes it can feel like there aren't enough hours in the day. I know firsthand the extreme joy, challenge, and chaos of building a business while raising a family. And I created the Make Life Work podcast to share experiences from my own journey, as well as talk with inspiring women who are also at this unique intersection of life. We'll take an inside look at the big projects they are undertaking and hear more about the schedules and strategies they use to create fulfilling personal, professional, and family lives. If you're an entrepreneur, leader, or executive, or if you're seeking inspiration and practical ideas for how to turn your big idea into reality while also building a life that works, this is the show for you. And now, let's get on with the episode. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 20 of the Make Life Work podcast. I am really excited to have with us today Stacy Pfeffer, who is the founder and CEO of Stacy Pfeffer Interiors up in Rochester, New York, in upstate New York. And she's got a really awesome signature style, warm, minimal design for the curated modern home. And she's in the second year of her business, which is wonderfully flourishing. So Stacy, welcome. We're so excited to have you here with us. Thanks for having me, Mel. Yeah, and I and the other part I forgot to mention in the intro is that Stacy is my best friend, and we have known each other since the sixth grade. Yep. It goes way back. She's also a mom of three awesome kids who I have known since they were all born and wife to her husband, Jen. So you've got a lot of roles and jobs going on there, Stace. I know, all of that I can feel really proud about too. <laughs> yes, you can. And I think that's why we wanted to talk today is that we have known each other for so long and we've seen each other through basically every Everything. big event <laughs> that has happened in our lives. And as this month, we're recording this podcast in the first week of 2021. So happy new year. I think we're both really excited to switch over from 2020 to 2021. For sure. And many folks um, now are taking the month of January to be sober and take a pause on drinking, um, dryuary, as they call it. And so, and the other thing that you and I have both done, you much for a much longer period of time, is we quit drinking. And so I thought it would be a really awesome conversation for our listeners to hear a little bit more about your story and some of mine and kind of you know, what life could look like either, either if they're going to be sober for the month of January or maybe even longer. So I'm excited to have you here to tell your story. Thanks for joining us. Yeah. Thank you for having me share. I'm yeah. happy to. Wonderful. Well, I wanted to start, you know, I was thinking back to our lives together. We met mm -hmm. in the sixth grade, but I think we both had our first sips of alcohol together in 10th grade. 
somewhere around there. Yeah, I think it was like after the summer of ninth grade, 10th grade definitely is when I started drinking. So 15, 16 years old. Yeah, pretty solid, pretty solid. Uh, we grew up in a small town outside of Las Vegas, Henderson, Nevada, and also spent a lot of time up in Boulder City, Nevada. And so I always think too, like how much of that factored into what high school looked like for us. So why don't you kind of start there, kind of start with your story? Sure. Yeah. Like you said, we grew up in kind of a small town. I mean, Las Vegas was nearby, but we didn't ever spend a lot of time in Las Vegas. So for fun, we would literally like go out to the desert. And if you're just sitting out in the desert, like with a pallet fire, um, <laughs> We're going to be drinking also. I mean, that is literally what we did for fun. That's what we did on the weekends, you know? Yep. It just became like a normal, regular thing we did. Yep. Yeah. And there were also like lots of house parties. Like getting alcohol did not seem to be much of an issue for us. N not at, I don't remember it being an issue ever. We always had an opportunity, yep. right, to get it. And right. I think that is the case, even with kids today. Hmm. I do remember like that first drink that I had, that first drunk I had, and it just, I loved the feeling of it. Yeah. I loved it so much. Yeah, It just took me outside of myself. You know, I felt I could feel comfortable and confident and beautiful and all these things that without the drink, I was struggling with a lot. I struggled with anxiety without understanding that or knowing that when I was a kid. So right. it just it alleviated all those things. Of course, I didn't realize that as I was drinking. I thought I was just being social and having fun. Right. But my drinking definitely then, I mean, it definitely went to excess. You know, when I was 15, 16, 17, I would drink. I was telling you as part of my story that I share in AA, uh, my first drunk was getting a six pack of Zima, uh, Zima. with you. That's right. Um, at, we went to a Super Bowl party mm -hmm. and I remember we were going to split the six pack, except I had five of those. Right. <laughs> right? And so <laughs> you had one. So that's how my drinking started. You know, like I never drank I didn't even, I don't even know what drinking socially is. Like I drank for the acts that alcohol gave me and I never wanted just one. I wanted more, always, always more. So that's how I drank from the get-go and that's how I drank for the rest of time until I was 32. Wow. Yeah. And I, you know, I, I don't remember the like one versus five, but I remember in high school, like I always had this kind of front of mind kind of realization that wherever I was, like, I needed to make sure that I was never too drunk, too out of control, right? Like, I, I was kind of the responsible one of our, like, friend group, and I wanted to make sure everybody, you know, was okay, like, we were getting home on time. So, like, I partook and had fun, but I was never, I felt, like, totally, you know, totally drunk all the time. And, but we definitely had opportunity to do that often. And, you know, your boyfriend at the time, now husband, he also made sure that we were taken care of and like, okay, and not getting into too much trouble too. And so there was a, enough kind of like probably guardrails for you that it didn't get like really 
too out of control when we were in high school. At least that's my sure. remembering of it all. Yeah, I, you know, I think about that sometimes. I, I felt like between you and Gems, you know, I always had you guys with me. Right. And I really felt like as long as I was with you guys, I would be safe, which is selfish thinking. But also it allowed me to just like let Do myself loose, right? Yeah. And I yep. did. Yep. I really did. And by the grace of God, because I really believe that, like I've put myself and even us sometimes in some really sticky situations mm-hmm. um, with my drinking and drug use. And, you know, nothing, nothing ever happened to me. Nothing <sighs> terrible, you know, right. from drinking. Although I would get the worst hangovers every single time I drank. And that just never, ever stopped me from drinking. Right. I don't even remember hangovers in high school. I mean, I probably didn't have any, but like, I don't even remember that, like talking about it with you either. Like, did we even know what a hangover was? Like, or just like, we just felt crappy. I definitely did. Cause I would be at the toilet. You, oh, know, right. like, you, you did throw out. Yeah. You, you really did like to throw it all up, which was probably good for your body at the time. <laughs> but, but you know, that's just such a, a sign for me that like, even that, didn't stop me from thinking that it was an issue. Right. You know? Right. Okay. So we finished high school. I mean, and we did, you know, we had some moments in high school too that were not amazing. You and I both got kicked off of cheerleading because of some decisions that we made, not specifically around alcohol, but it certainly kind of was all part and parcel. But we made it through high school. We had a great, a really wonderful high school experience. I think we'd say we had a great group of friends in Henderson and in Boulder City. And So you left prior to us graduating high school. You moved up to Oregon your senior year of high school, which couldn't have been. And did you drink in Cottage Grove? Like, how did that? So that's really interesting. I mean, that whole time in my life. And I would like to say, like, now that I've been in therapy and I've, like, looked back on it, that moment that I had to leave to move to Oregon right before my senior year of high school, you, we were having a going away party. And you were driving to my boyfriend's house to come to the party and you got in a terrible car accident yeah. where you were rushed Horrible. to the emergency room. Yep. And I mean, I just remember feeling so scared seeing you, you know, in the emergency room and you were not okay. No. And I didn't know if you were going to be okay. And then literally like the next morning, Right. I had to go move my move to Oregon and start an entirely new school. So that whole part of my life, you know, was pretty traumatic. And at the time, I just kind of like didn't think about it really or blew it off. I mean, I was, of course, concerned about you, but just right. you just have to in move the scope on. of forward. Right. In the scope of life. I mean, those I've had some traumatic moments that I didn't realize were traumatic at the time. Right. And that just. I think built up and led to a lot of my drinking later on in my life. Yeah. And no one talked about that either. Like we did not talk about trauma or like anxiety or depression or like we like our family, we just no one really talked about those kinds of things like we do with our kids now. Right. Like, you know, like we kind of have <laughs> these ways of like talking about these types of issues, but we just didn't have that growing up. I don't know if it's because of like, I don't know what the reasons are, right? Socioeconomic, or I I thought like that that was a really upper class thing you did, you know, to go to a therapist when I was 
when I was that age. But, um, but yeah, I mean, <laughs> I go to therapy. Me too. You know, I have a great therapist and it's just made a world of difference. And it doesn't matter like your socioeconomic status, you know, there's no shame in that. No, none at all. And it's, it's really an amazing opportunity. And one, I think if everybody had the opportunity to see a therapist, the world would be a much different place. Total side note, but um, <laughs> so, okay. So yeah, I was, I was in a really horrible car accident and I fractured my back and I punctured some organs in my body. And I, like you said, was on my way to your going away party. And even when I kind of came to in the ambulance, the only phone number that I remembered to like tell the EMT guys was your boyfriend's phone number. And that's how you found out about the accident. And I'm sure that just was such a traumatic way to end your time in Henderson and have to leave the next day. And I mean, I can't even imagine what it was like for you and for my parents and everybody else who, you know, kind of saw what was happening in those early times. I don't remember anything. So I feel like my body kind of kept a lot of that trauma away from my brain. But okay, so that horrible night happened. And you had to get in the car the next morning and drive on up, you moved up to Cottage Grove, Oregon, which is outside of Eugene. So what did your senior year look like there? I mean, I visited once or twice, but I don't I know. I mean, when I look back on it, it was was sad and lonely. I mean, you made some you made some friends. I did. I met some really amazing girls, you know, women that but I became really close with them. But um, yeah, I mean, it was just, it was hard, you know, like moving my senior year, we moved to like an abandoned house, 30 minutes, like in the middle of nowhere, 30 minutes away from the school that I went to. So I had to ride the bus to school my senior year, you know, it was just like, all of those things. I didn't really drink that much my senior year, because I didn't really have an opportunity. Like, the people I was hanging out with were kids from my youth group at church. And so that was like a whole different year for me, you know, where I didn't drink a lot, but I still had all the, I still, I didn't drink, but I didn't have a solution either of like feeling all that anxiety and fear that I just had always felt and never had like a tool or a solution for. Right. So I just got to feel it that year. Yeah. Wow. And you, do you remember that? Like kind of like having to like feel all the anxiety and the emotion, like it just kind of like sat with you. Yeah. Yeah. You know, even just like, I mean, it was a small town, um, of like, I don't even know. (laughs) I don't even know. Like I want to say like 1300 people. Um, and I was coming from a really large school, you know? Mm -hmm. And And so really, I mean, we really had two communities like between Henderson and Boulder city. Right. And then, you know, going into a new place, a new school where, um, I didn't know one person And everyone had grown up together since kindergarten. That's right. So it was really hard to kind of like get in the mix with, with other people. So, you know, I spent a lot of time that year by myself. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, oh, totally sad year for me too, with you leaving town and, but life went on and then we met back up. We ended up, yep. Both going to the university of Oregon, go ducks. So that was the silver lining of the entire move to Oregon, right? <laughs> That's because right. my options for college were in state, you know? <laughs> That's right. You had two choices. <laughs> two choices. It's so funny because my son's getting ready to like look at colleges and we're actually touring them and he's going to like be deciding. And it's this whole thing where for me, it was more <laughs> like, where can I get in state tuition? Right. You know what I mean? I, 
the idea, you know, it was simple. It all worked out the way I think it was supposed to work out. I mean, I think everything does really happen for a reason because you ended up coming to Oregon. That's right. And so never would have even looked at the University of Oregon, (laughs) I don't think in retrospect, but, and my parents were like, what? (laughs) (laughs) I know. Not that they were that shocked, but they were just like, oh, okay. (laughs) (laughs) There you go. Following Stacy again. (laughs) And same with Jen, you know, Jen totally. did not want him to go. Oh my gosh, they did not want him to go. No, so not and at he, all. he was in he a was great at Boulder, right? program, yep. you know, engineering program at Boulder, and he like totally had to switch majors. I know, and they were not happy about it. But yeah, so Jen's and I, we just came on over. We all were in Eugene together for four years. Well, I guess was Jen's there for four years, three years, no, four years, four, and. We just kind of kept the party going, didn't we? We did. It's, yep. It is funny, though. So I drank a lot more in high school than I did in college. Really? Oh, that's so interesting because I for sure drank more in college. Like, that's I remember. I really picked up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> did it up. Because <laughs> we, we shared a dorm this first year. That's school. right. Yep. We were roommates. We were total roommates, mm-hmm. which I actually loved with our matching so bed we spreads. Had matching bed spreads. Oh my gosh. From Target. Story. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and we met Ashley. We met Ashley, which was wonderful, awesome. It's like the only friend I met in college because Same. we were a tight knit, you know, like yep. there were a few of us that had come from Boulder City. Yep. And our friends. So we were just like a little group together. It was it was fun. Yeah, it was a fun um, four years. And I didn't realize, though, I guess in retrospect, yeah, you really, you really weren't all that bananas. So we were probably, <laughs> we had swapped roles. <laughs> well, the funny thing is, I got a house of my own. It was, That's you know, right. yep. my sophomore year, Jens and I moved into our very first house. And I literally, like, that filled up everything inside of me. Like, I loved that house. Like, yeah. I loved doing things to the house, painting, like, staying home on a Friday night. Like I honestly, like I just loved it so much. Yeah. So you kind of found like your space and your place and kind of your outlet for all right. of the things that you were kind of using alcohol to manage. Right. I mean, I still, I, I still, I have to say like, I still drank, I still smoked a lot of weed <laughs> continue, you know, it continued just not to an extreme amount. Although of course there were moments of extreme. Yes. It was college. It was. Yeah. And for me, that's kind of where mine started picking up. We had (laughs) fake IDs and we were able to get into all of the bars. And so we kind of really had this whole other kind of life that we were living, had a great time. And so for me, I feel like that's kind of where that whole kind of cycle started for me. And I, I really, I didn't really get super drunk, really. Like I, had a constitution where I could manage, you know, drinking a lot without getting really sick. And I wasn't super into weed. That was never my thing either. I didn't really care for it. We would smoke a lot of weed and watch Everybody Loves Raymond. I mean, makes total sense. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Okay, so we make it through college and I decide I'm going to move to LA with Adam and you decide you're going to get married. I did. I married that boy from you high did. school. That's right. And yes. shortly after, had Sweet Jack. We did. So we moved from Oregon to Rochester, New York. That's right. Which um, 
it was cold. <laughs> that was a hard like, year. You know? Yeah. It was a hard year. I had never left everybody before, you know, like family and friends. For me, that was really difficult to like move to a new place again. Mm-hmm. Um, someplace I didn't really have any, I didn't really have any friends. I mean, we knew a couple that my husband worked with. So that was nice, but I was really lonely again. You know, yeah. Jen's got a nine to five. Yep. And I had no idea what I was going to do with my degree in psychology. Right. Um, I was kind of, it was really fear-based for me where, um, I didn't really (laughs) try to go out and like get a job because I was full of fear at that time. Yep. So I actually drank a lot. Yeah. Just kind of home by yourself. Yeah. I was home by myself, you know, in a new place. I didn't have friends. So I really just turned to drinking. I remember my grandmother passed away during that time and I caught a flight quickly the next day and just, I was so hungover on that flight. It was the worst ever, you know? And, and I just remember calling you, talking to people, just being drunk a lot, you know, like going to the bars with Jens and like getting upset, leaving, storming out, walking home in the snow. Like it was a lot of drama. Yeah. That those first few months were a lot of drama. So I didn't know what to do with my life. Yeah. So I decided to have a baby. Yeah. <laughs> totally valid solution. It made total sense to me. <laughs> right? yep. like, like, I've always wanted kids. Like, yep. I, and I really did. Like, all my life, I've wanted to be a mom. So it made a total sense to me. Jens and I, we got a big house mm-hmm. and Did all the things. With all the things. And I got pregnant right away, actually, with Jack. I remember when Jack was born, I was so high on life that I didn't sleep for three days after he was born. Really? Yeah. Three days. I could not sleep. I like couldn't like let them take him away like in the hospital because I just wanted to like look at him. I was like amazed by this person. I feel so hard for him. And honestly, like Jack, he filled that hole inside of me. Mm. I mean, he really did. You're not really supposed to use (laughs) your children or other things, (laughs) you know, to fill your own needs and your own stuff. But I did and it worked. And I didn't drink for two years after I had Jack. You know, I was 100% dedicated to being Jack's mom. That's right. You were. You were a great mom. And he was a great, sweet kiddo. Mm-hmm. Okay. So you had Jack and life seemed a little bit more stable. And and then Liam came along how many years later? Three? Two years later. Okay. Yeah. I was like, this is so great. Let's do this again. Right? Yep. yep. <laughs> so I had Liam and he was such a, you know, cute little kid. But... um. I started to really struggle after I had Liam. Like I didn't realize how difficult having two kids would be. Yeah. I also lived in, you know, in a town where I had some friends by this time, but um, I was never, I never really learned how to ask for help. Oh yeah. Right. That whole thing. (laughs) (laughs) In any capacity, you know, like what I really took away from my family of origin was like, if you want something done, you do it yourself. yourself. Yep. Like that's that's a sign of strength. Right. So I, you know, 
that's how I did things. And if I struggled, like I didn't tell people. No, because that would be some kind of failure or, you know, other kind of negative about who we were as people. Yeah. Right. So I actually also had postpartum anxiety, which wasn't common at that time or in my area. I remember telling my doctor and she like recommended me to go to a group therapy situation. And by the, at this time I hadn't even been to a therapist and I was like, there's no way I'm feeling anxious, right? To go to I a no group. I no longer have any more time. And I right. don't like hang out with a bunch of, you know, people who are whatever. I was like, not into, I, there was no way I was going to do it. And so it was just this, such interesting timing uh, like that all these things happened together because Jess also went to a golf tournament and won like a hundred cases of wine as the top. Really? Mm-hmm. Oh, I didn't know that. Oh, interesting. And so we literally <laughs> spent hours like bringing boxes down to the basement, boxes full of wine. wine. I mean, like a stack. I had wine. I thought I had wine for the rest of, the rest my of your life. life. Right. <laughs> I mean, a hundred cases. That's a lot of wine. It was so much wine. Maybe it wasn't a hundred. It was a lot. Like I can't remember the exact amount. All I remember thinking was this is going to last us the rest of our lives. Right. This amount of wine. It lasted me a year. Like I had access to that wine. I would just walk down to the basement, pull a bottle. And that's how I, you know, that was my solution to my anxiety and difficult times I was having as having two kids and, and all of that. So that's really when my drinking started to wow. take off. Right. And that took the edge off if you had a glass of wine. Yeah. I remember just like, feel like during the days thinking to myself, like, okay, you can get through this, you know, moment because you're, you're going to be able to have a glass of wine at the end of the night or two or five, like, right. or the bottle. you know, right. Yeah. So I, it was just, it was hard. It was a lot. It was hard. I still didn't, you know, I didn't have family. So I, it wasn't like the kids could go to grandma's house if I needed a break. You know, I, I know a lot of people don't have that, but for me, my solution was drinking to take the edge off, you know, to just like let it all melt away at the end of the day. Right. So then it just kind of progressively got worse, like over the years, like it kind of, you just started drinking more and more and more. I started to rely on it for fun, for my happiness, for, you know, for, to take the edge off. Like I just, I remember just feeling this sense of calm when I knew that I could have that at the end of the night. Right. I got pregnant with my daughter and I didn't drink throughout all of my pregnancies. I just like to say that because there's so many reasons that I didn't think I had a problem with drinking because I didn't fit like the standard stigmatized person who, you know, somebody might think is an alcoholic. Like I was involved in like my kids' schools, preschools, PTA mom, like, right. you know, yep. I drove the minivan, I had play dates, all of those things. High functioning. Look, high fun I was very high functioning. You didn't know that I brought, you know, a cup of wine to my son's baseball game. Like those were things that like people didn't know or like that I had to have two drinks before I went out with you at night, you know, and then right. at least have three more at dinner. Like nobody knew those things. So yeah, it just, it became a crutch for me and it did, it just got progressively worse. I have alcoholism in my family, mm -hmm. um, on both sides of my family. 
And so I don't know if it's genetic or not, but I know that I was probably predispositioned to have an issue with just always wanting more and, you know, using it to an extreme. Right. So when I gave birth to my daughter, I hadn't drank for nine months. And the very first thing I asked my husband in the hospital room was, I wanted a bottle of wine. Oh, wow. So that's, I mean, I, I think back on that and that's pretty sad. Like I had this beautiful child, you know, and that's what I was thinking. Right. Yeah. Aww. Right. And so at this point you are a mom with three kids, one tiny baby, and you get home and kind of get back into the swing of life, which I'm sure was just so difficult. You stayed home full time with the kids, just picked it back up, basically. The- I mean, it never. Yeah. You know, after my pregnancy, I did. I picked mm-hmm. it right back up. I remember I had Reese right before like the holidays. My mother-in-law and sister-in-law came into town. And I just remember like sitting in the chair, breastfeeding Reese and like drinking like gin and tonic after gin and tonic. Reese had to have formula much sooner because I would want to drink, you know, right. instead. And it just, it got progressively worse. There, you know, from there, just over those three years, it really just became apparent to me that I had had, that I had an issue, but um, I, I didn't know what to do about it. You know, I tried, I talked to a therapist, you know. Right. I blew up my life <laughs> and yep. And um, I just, you know, I would write myself to my journal. Like, I think I have a drinking problem, but you know, as soon as like four o'clock rolled around, it would be game on for me. It was right. just such a habitual thing that I was doing. All kind of intentions just kind of fly out the window and all the moderation plans and all the kind of abstinence plans you put in place just Yeah, it's so hard to keep. Yeah, once I had that desire to drink, like I couldn't not drink. Even if like in the morning I'm hungover and I'm telling myself I'm not going to drink today. And I said that so many times. Right. Four o'clock would roll around and I'm like, well, you know, it was hard. Today was really hard. Right. Or today was Tuesday. I mean, it didn't really matter the day, but I could justify it to myself to have a drink. And were you, like, worried? Like, were you afraid of, like, what would happen if you stopped drinking? Like, so at this point, you kind of have this sense that, like, something, it's not right. And, like, this is not contributing to your health and wellness and happiness. But still. I really never thought that I would not ever not drink. Yeah. I mean, that just wasn't even in my realm of possibility. (laughs) Right. Um, So I knew I did Definitely didn't want to go to AA because the one thing I knew about AA was that you go to AA and they tell you, don't even have one drink. Like, that's the only thing I knew about it. Right. So I was definitely not going to do that. Right. Um, (laughs) Forget about that. That seems extreme. (laughs) You know, like, even if it could save my life, that's pretty extreme. So, you know, I, I would do things like moderation management. I read the book and you know, talking to my therapist and she suggests, well, why don't you just have two drinks a night? And so I do that, except that my gin and tonics are in pint glasses, right? <laughs> two of those, right. right? So like I, who, you know, I, I, 
I wasn't honest with myself ever about my drinking. And the interest, the thing is like, it had taken a hold of me. Like I no longer at that point in my life had like the power to just say no and not do it. It was just so a part of me, even though I wanted to stop, I wasn't willing yet to, right. to give it up. I wasn't at rock bottom yet. And so we hear that a lot. I think this kind of concept of like rock bottom that kind of has to happen for, you know, something to click or some realization that you have to stop drinking or do something different. And so is that what happened for you? So the interesting thing is I think I hit a rock bottom really maybe a year before, a year or two before my drinking when I tried to blow up my life. <laughs> yes, I remember that. Right? Like all this responsibility and everything. I was 20. At that time, I was 30. I was, I had just turned 30. So no, I mean, the night I admitted that I had a drinking problem was a normal Tuesday night for me. Mm -hmm. I had, the kids were asleep. I was upstairs watching TV. My husband was downstairs watching TV. I had had I keep saying gin and, gin and tonic was like my drink. Yeah, it must have been. I don't even remember you in gin and tonics, but it sounds like there's a lot of them. I didn't discriminate. Like, it didn't matter. Like, I would drink, like, you know, a six-pack of beer or the fanciest red wine. Right. That's how I justified that I didn't have a drinking problem for a really long time is because, you know, my dad had a drinking problem and he would drink Milwaukee's Best, the right. cheapest beer you could get. Or he would make his own wine in the garage with right. grape juice. Yeah. Right. So for me, I was like, well, I'm drinking very expensive wine. wine. Right. Right. You Here we know? go to fancy like, restaurants. Yes. Or beers and bottles. Like this is like fancy stuff. So so, anyways, my rock bottom was um, just a normal night. I had to have like eight gin and tonics. I do. Re I remember all these details because I remember I would always like I would count my drinks until sometimes I would blackout and I wouldn't remember after that. And I blacked out many times the, the year prior to this night. And I, I was in a desperate situation. Like I knew I wanted to quit. I didn't know how to quit. I just was, you know, like I said, I just wasn't ready to admit that I had had a drinking problem because once I admitted it, I knew I would have to do something, do something about right. it. And that is really hard. That's really hard because you don't know what that's going to look like. Right. It's scary. It's complete unknown. Totally. And almost an entirely different life. It is an entirely different life. And and at the time, I like didn't want anything else to change. I just wanted to stop drinking. Right. But I wanted everything around me to stay exactly the same, you right. know? <laughs> Makes total so sense. That, so that night, you know, I went to sleep at some point. I'm not even sure. I would usually wake up at like two in the morning, wide awake, feeling just shame. Like I would have the shame that would just like wash over me knowing that, you know, I was going to be hung over in the morning, knowing that it was going to be really hard for me to wake up and get all my kids ready for school. Right. Knowing that like I did this again and I told myself I wasn't going to, I did the, I said this prayer to God that night of like, please help me. Like, I don't know what to do. I didn't necessarily believe in a God at that time either. I just knew I, I needed to like reach out to somebody, something bigger than myself for help. And so I woke up Jens that night at 2 a.m. And I said, Jens, I think I'm an alcoholic. And bless his heart because 
he was so like constant with me through all of my ups and downs. He said, yes, you are. And now you have to do something about it. Right. And so the next day I was hungover the entire day in bed, hungover, deciding if I was going to, you know, what I was going to do. And the day after that, I went to my first AA meeting. Wow. Yeah. And that took a lot of courage because. Oh, gosh, so much courage. Right. I mean, it's it's become such a part of my life. And I've met the most amazing people in AA. And like, I have such a great sober community. But like, just taking that step from the car to walk into that building and not knowing at all what to expect. Right. And I walk in the building and there's like people talking. Some people are eating. It's a new meeting. There's like people I recognize in the community. You know, my lawyer friend was eating lunch. <laughs> she was just, it was just like so natural. And I'm like, I was, I walked in like with like a deer in headlights. You know what I mean? Like, right. Of course. Like so unknown. The biggest thing I got from that meeting and that moment was that there were other people out there that felt the exact same way that I felt mm-hmm. and they were happy and thriving. Right. And, and I like, wanted that. Yeah. Totally normal. Like quote unquote. Yes. <laughs> Cause I was, I was ready and I had struggled with this for so long that I was just, you know, I was, I was ready. Although that night I went to an event and decided that night I was going to have a glass of wine. So I did. And then I was waiting for the waitress to come back by to pour me another glass. And she never came back by. It was like the most annoying moment (laughs) of my life. Right. (laughs) And then that next morning I woke up and I went to an AA meeting and I haven't had a drink since that day. Congratulations. That's so amazing. And I've always just been so proud of you and like so in awe of the courage and kind of will that that took for you to do what was best for yourself. And I know that the fear and how scary it can be to try to imagine a whole different life, right? Because drinking was such a big part of your activities and your daily timeline and all of that. And I think also it's one of the bigger fears that most people have when they're thinking that perhaps they're drinking too much or they realize that drinking has is maybe having some negative impacts on their life, which is kind of the point that I got to. But it's hard to imagine what life looks like without having a glass of wine at an event or going to a wedding and not drinking or going on a date or like, so how how did you manage that? And how was it as scary as you thought it was going to be to, to live sans booze? Yes. Like I'm not going to sugarcoat it. <laughs> <laughs> it sucked. <hard>. Like, <laughs> it was really difficult because, mm-hmm. um, it's, I, it's what I did for fun. It's what I did on a holiday. Right. You know, it's, it's what I did. It's what for everything. <laughs> For everything, yeah. really, it was so intertwined with our life that um, I didn't know if I was going to be able to hang out with a group of people, you know, yep. without drinking. And I had, I got to have those opportunities to like do that, and it was really, really difficult. And the first time I saw my family, you know, it was a month after I had stopped drinking, and. I saw my family and it was just hard (laughs) and my sister had offered, she made me a cookie with weed in it. That was my Christmas present. And so I took it and I relapsed at that point. I, I consider that a relapse because I was 
you know, getting outside of myself. So just having to like count days over again, that was hard. Everything my first year of sobriety was, it was just hard. Like it was hard. And also it was amazing. The people that I had met, the community that I made around myself that came to me to help. Those are just moments that I'll never forget that first year. Yeah. Yeah, I it, I remember it being really difficult for you, but also kind of this whole alternate reality that existed too, that you could be more present with your kids and you can wake up without a hangover and have a whole day ahead of you. I remember you got really into like yoga and like really kind of taking care of yourself in ways that were healthier. And But I know also you had some difficult situations with old friends who weren't maybe as supportive as, you know, they should have been for your sobriety. And, and so what got you through? This is the thing that I learned from that first year is that the people in my life that were gold really, they stayed. Mm-hmm. Like the people that I value and have a real connection with without not even just the alcohol, but without pretenses, you know, the people that I can be honest with, those are the people that stayed and that my relationships with those people just grew Mm -hmm. so much stronger. So I did lose, I lost one friend and I became estranged from my parents, which on the outside looks like not a great thing, right? In sobriety. But for me, it was necessary to finally be honest Mm -hmm. with my feelings with my parents and you know what other people think of me and how they react is not my business all I can do is like what I can do right yep so yeah there was definitely moments that was really hard I didn't know if my marriage was going to survive honestly because I met Jen's when I was 15 yep we started drinking at that time and it's sort of like how we what we did together Totally. I mean, that's what we all did together. That's what we did. That was fun. I had to remember what those moments were like before I started drinking. Like, seriously, these are the things I would think of when you and I would dance in your living room to Whitney Houston and Trisha Yearwood. Like those were just like pure moments of joy. right? Right. Like, and those were, those had nothing to do with alcohol. Right. Yeah. And they Um, were fun. Like we were having fun. Like pure fun. So much fun. Yeah. So it kind of, it went back to that. Like I had to keep things really simple mm-hmm. in my life. So I went to a meeting every day. Mm-hmm. I got a sponsor. I worked the 12 steps. I became, you know, involved in my sober community. Those were things that just really helped me um, to just take it one day at a time. Right. And I feel there is this, um, AA is kind of this big piece of recovery for a lot of people, but it also, I think, is feels like a barrier at some point for people too, because it is based on this idea of a higher power, which people may or may not connect with in that kind of way. And it's a pretty rigid program in the way that it's, you, you follow the steps and you, there's a kind of a process in a way that you do things. And so, and I know you were raised rather religiously and then took a pretty big piece out for a while as we got older. So how did that work for you? And did you share those concerns? And how did you make it work for you? So yeah, AA just, it works for me. 
Mm-hmm. I know it doesn't work for everyone. I've, I'm open with my sobriety. And so I've, a lot of women have like come up to me and asked me, you know, like how, what I do and not everyone does AA. And I just want to put that out there too, because it's not the only route to get sober. It just worked for me. I think having that rigidity, having somebody that I could rely on, which is so hard, it's still so hard for me, you know, like to yeah. ask for help. Yeah. Have feelings. But, oh my gosh. Another thing we didn't really learn about as kids. <laughs> we have feelings. That's totally you normal. Know, so, yeah. Even today, like with my therapist, I'm like, what are the feelings again? Like right. there's five or eight of them. Like, <laughs> They're in there somewhere. I know. Like I'm angry. Like, <laughs> what else is there? So for me that having somebody to check in with. Like accountability. Accountability. Yes. You know, because I just didn't, I didn't have it before Mm -hmm. somebody that I could be accountable to, like it just helped me. It worked for me. Like I needed steps, right? Like I needed someone to tell me like, this is what you do now. Like I just really needed that in order for it to work for me. So I know there's so many different routes and ways and however, however you can get there, but it just, yeah, yeah, it works for me. And so the higher power part of it, how like, I've heard it. I've not ever been to AA. I briefly looked into Al-Anon for, you know, my myriad yeah. things, but um, <laughs> that's <laughs> uh, a good program for you. Yeah, that's uh, my therapist mentioned <laughs> that I should look into it. But it. And it's based on the 12 steps as well. But this piece, and even for me, this higher power piece, like is like a little bit of a hurdle for me to get across. And so did, was it, kind of the opportunity for you to get back in touch with like this more spiritual, like religious kind of element of yourself? Or did you look at it in another way? Kind of like, you know, my, you know, we're all connected in the universe kind of way that I, you know, mostly ascribe to like, how, how did you come to that piece of it? Cause I know that that's really a core piece of your life and like moving forward now. So. Right. Yeah. I was raised in an evangelical Christian church and you know, my oh, family, wow. my cousins, my everybody went to the school. You, you went to school there. Yep. I converted yep. You. Got me in. Yep. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> my two years as an evangelical. <laughs> At church camp. Right. So I, you know, when I got older um, and I went away to college, like I really turned away from that religion just because there were so many parts of it that I didn't agree with. And in those 10, like in that time, like I had really been searching for something because I didn't agree with my religion. But I knew like I needed that spiritual peace and I didn't know how to get there. I didn't know that you couldn't get that through just, I felt like I had to go the religion route to be able to get to that spiritual peace. So I didn't know how to do that. Honestly, like, I think my higher power just had to like put it all up in my face to show me, you know, that it exists because I had a spiritual experience when I was two weeks sober Mm. that like blew my mind so much that I couldn't deny that there wasn't something out there in the universe that was like conspiring to get me well, to help you out. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was funny. I had been to like a meeting every day. I went to this random Tuesday night meeting these two weeks prior and had seen a speaker, a young kid who had just gotten out of rehab and he was from a nearby town, Buffalo. So he had come from out of town. And then two weeks into my sobriety, I kept plans for a trip that my husband and I were taking oh, right. um, with 
two of our friends and my, my mother-in-law was flying in from Nevada to watch my kids. Like it was a big deal. It wasn't just like this, we get to do this all the time. So it was a weekend trip and I felt like just because I'm sober, nothing else needs to change in my life. Carry on as per normal. We'll just be, we'll just carry on, right? right. Like, everything will just be the same. People had like told me like, I don't think you should do that, but I didn't listen. And so I went on this trip, like the shit hit the fan. Pretty um, quickly, right? Like almost. Pretty quickly. Like the yeah. first night. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Nobody was a big fan that I was sober. <laughs> right. And so I'm sitting the next morning, you know, I, re- I literally think my life's over. The next morning, I'm sitting on a park bench in this town called Skinny Atlas. And I'm talking to my husband and telling him like the real reasons why I need to stop drinking and why this is so important for me to stop. And that kid that I saw in a meeting that was from Buffalo walked right by me in Skinny Atlas, which was like a a few hundred miles away. So crazy. It was for me, it was just that like, It was like a sign. It was a sign. It was like, it was what I call a spiritual experience. It just showed me that I was like doing the right thing and that I just needed to keep doing it yeah, no matter what. Right. And I think those kinds of experiences, no matter what you call them or where they come from, like we all have those kind of guideposts if we are clear enough to kind of keep our eyes open for them, right? Like there is some kind of something good energy, I think, that is conspiring to do right by us. And I think those kinds of signs are out there if we pay attention. And I'm so just thankful that you were able to see it because how many times have people walked by us, right? Right, exactly. Yeah. And it was such a traumatic and difficult conversation that you were having and time that you were having, probably I would imagine one of the most difficult of your life. And yet you knew that you were on the right path. Yep. So that's what it, that's what it took for me. It'll be like, oh yeah, I, there was something out there, you know, bigger than, bigger than me. Right. And now just very recently, you just hit your eight year sobriety milestone. Congratulations. That's such a huge deal. And so what does that look like? Like, do you, you know, I've heard like birthday, like sobriety birthdays, like, do you go, do you get a present or a, something? Like, do you go back to your <laughs> meeting? Like what? Is there some, you know, fireworks that happen? Like that? <laughs> fireworks definitely happen. <laughs> no, it's funny. Like the first year I was sober, I, you know, hit that milestone and I was like, I, you know, I deserve a new car. Right. <laughs> I deserve all the things. And now I'm really just at a place where it's like, yeah, like this is just right where I'm supposed to be. It's just one more day. Right. It's all of these one days have added up to eight years. We get a coin and pre-COVID, I wasn't able to get mine this year, but a friend dropped mine off in the mailbox. You know, it's just, it's just perfect. Like, yeah, the gifts that I received today are just, they're not, you know, anything you can buy. Right. And, and so your life obviously is, you know, night and day different from what it was eight years ago. And I know that the first year was a real struggle and probably subsequent years, but tell us now, like, I mean, you're, you're flourishing in your life. You have this really successful business. And so, you know, do you attribute that to your sobriety? Like, how do you see that impacting just the quality of your life overall? 
Yeah, I mean, 100%. I attribute it to my sobriety. You know, a lot of the reasons why I drank were because of fear and anxiety. And so when I stopped drinking, I learned how to do the things that I need to do in order to live with anxiety and depression. It's really the people that have surrounded me, you know, my therapist, friends, husband, you know, Mm -hmm. Jim and I are still married. It worked out. And, and people who believe in me, you know, until and then I started to believe in myself, right, as well. I really think that has been the one of the biggest gifts is that, yeah, I started to believe that I could like do this thing that I've always loved doing. I mean, the funny thing is, like, I'm gonna do it, like, I'm gonna like, look at design magazines and like, pick out like furniture and lights, I might as well be doing it for someone else and getting paid to do it. Right. <laughs> and even like you said earlier, when you got the first house, our sophomore year of college, like that was kind of your love and your joy was getting that house together. It was a beautiful house. You made it even more gorgeous. Your sense of style is just so on point. I mean, just beautiful in the way that you're able to see objects and items and put them together in a way that is just so clean and visually stunning. And so you were able to put that together and make a career out of it. Yeah, it's interesting. Like even when my children were young, it's creating was something that was just like a passion of mine. And it really kept me sane during those times. And then it was it was like a love that I just, I knew I needed to like harness that creativity and make something of it. So I was encouraged to go to school. Yep. And I went back to school and I got um, a degree in interior design. And yeah, and then I just was like, I'm just going to start my own business. And I started my business two years ago. It's taken off so quickly. I'm doing projects that I love. And I've met like really great clients through the whole process. And I literally like, sometimes I'm like, I have to pinch myself that this is the life I'm living. You know, like this is the world I've created. I know I wouldn't have been able to do it without my sobriety. It gave me the foundation to be able to go back to school, to work hard and to be creative. I, I was really worried about my creativity after not drinking. I thought that would just go away also. Cause I felt like when I was under the influence, that's when I had like my biggest creative thoughts. Right. It's not true. It didn't go away. It got bigger. So I I really, I can't even imagine what this past year would have looked like if I was still drinking for my kids, you know, like for my family, for me. So I'm just so grateful. Like I'm always grateful that I have this sobriety and that I can do what I love to do. Yeah. Well, and I have to say that your example and watching how your life has unfolded in these past eight years was really a signal to me that once you let go of having to fill up that space with something that is basically poison and takes a lot of not only like energy for your body to deal with, but a lot of energy for your mind to deal with. And when you take that out of the equation, what is left is a lot more time and energy to deal with the things in your life. And so, you know, when I decided to stop drinking for the month of February last year, I knew it would be beneficial. But then when COVID hit, I knew that it was probably mandatory because I had 
I mean, obviously the world changed and I had, I'm a single mom, as you know, with Ellie and my business changing every single day. And I had, you know, changed my life so that my entire life revolved around Vita and this business. And I knew that it was just so important for me to be able to be clear enough to deal with Vita, to deal with myself so that I could deal with Ellie and everything that was changing in our lives. And honestly, I don't know that I would have been able to do that with such commitment and foresight had I not seen your journey and seen your bravery and commitment and what it's done in your life. So I'm not sure I ever fully said thank you for that. So I'm just so proud of you and your sobriety and your life. And I just love you so much. And I'm so thankful that we got to talk about this on the podcast today. Oh, I love you so much. <laughs> I I just love you too. I, I feel like our lives were just intertwined from such a young age and how lucky it is that we have been able to have that in our lives. And can I just say, like, I just want to mention a moment that we had at our high school reunion. It was our 20th high school reunion. Holy moly. A few years ago. No, two years what ago. Maybe. I think two years ago. 2018. And I just want to say that you can absolutely have so much fun sober because looking at your picture album of the group of us girls oh from gosh. that time yeah. was so much fun. Yep. And I was 100% sober. And yep. I've, I, you know, I have said, like, I, I didn't think I was going to have fun again. I've had the most fun in sobriety for sure. Yeah. Um, with you and with, um, you know, my other friends that it's just, I can't explain it, but there is so much hope. I want to let people know that because, um, I didn't realize my life was just beginning when I thought it was over. Right. And is that what you would say to anybody who's listening now and thinking, you know, maybe I, you know, don't have disordered drinking. Maybe I, I wouldn't qual you know, consider myself an alcoholic, but I recognize that alcohol is really not doing me any favors in my life. You know, the hangovers and the lost days and the, you know, inability to connect and kind of be present. What, what would you say to them? Like, what would you leave our listeners with from your experience and your perspective? Yeah. I think what I would say is, you know, just take an honest look at yourself and the reasons why you're drinking, perhaps really get into that mm -hmm. and surround yourself with a community of people, whether that's like a friend who's sober, like reach out to that friend or an online community or, you know, uh, a yoga class. Like, yeah, I think community is so important for addiction of any kind. Like you don't have to be an alcoholic, you know, to, to know that alcohol is not good for your body, your mind in so many ways. It's, it's easy for me to say, like, just take a chance and get so it's, it, for an alcoholic, it really is that much harder, right? Like right. to just not drink. Right. <laughs> but, but yeah, I would say like, there's great literature on it. Yeah, I, that's where I found my comfort. Although that's my MO usually is books. So many good books out right now. I can, I'll put a right. list of books in the show notes. But yeah, so kind of connecting with just what you gravitate towards for support and community, just in general. 
Yeah. I mean, it was important for me to hear other people's stories, whether that was in memoirs. I mm. devoured memoirs. Oh gosh, me too. Um, early in sobriety and women's stories. Mm-hmm. You know, I just, I devoured those because I needed to hear that someone was having the same struggle that I was having and feelings around it that I was feeling and that there is, there's hope and there's a place to go. Right. And that life can be even better on the other side. Completely. Yeah, totally agreed. Oh my gosh, Stace, I love you so much. Thank you so much for sharing your story. I know that that is a real vulnerable story and a really honest place to be. So we really appreciate that and love you always. And I will put all of these resources in the show notes, including AA. I actually, I haven't looked into it too much, but when I was doing my research on Al-Anon, I think AA has a pretty cool app now. I don't know if you use that, but I'll put a link to that in the show notes as well. That's the amazing part. Like you can just go online, find a meeting in your area. I when I visited you in Portland, like I found a meeting. You That's know? right. Yeah, totally. Yeah. All over the country. Um, a lot of online resources, and then I'll I'll put my top five favorite books that I read too. So, all right, Stacy, thank you so much. Um, have a great week, everyone, and we will see you next time on the next episode of the Make Life Work Podcast. Take care, everyone. The Make Life Work Podcast is recorded on site at the Vita Coworking Community in Northeast Portland. Be sure to subscribe on Apple iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And for show notes and other resources from this week's episode, please visit vitacoworking.com slash podcast. Have a great week and thanks for listening.